When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, we hope you had a great 4th of July, a fun and safe uh, Independence Day. I definitely had a lot of fun. I know Andrew had a lot of fun. We are going to bring you more action, though, outside of the 4th of July. Because uh, here's the thing. Fireworks weren't the only thing that were lit on Tuesday. What's lit right now is the fact that we are getting through uh, our top 25 Bengals of 2023. We're already at number 15. So, again, we're not, like, technically halfway, but we're just about halfway there. And we are at number 15. And number 15 on our list is none other then the, as I like to call him, the self-proclaimed demeanor hound center, Ted Kiris, who is number 15 on our list and very well-deservingly so on the list. Welcome into another edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad and Andrew Gill is here with you. And we're also going to talk about one of our very special fan responses that I've been waiting to share uh, on this podcast. And if you want to share your special fan response uh to us, for us to read on this podcast, like we've been doing for about the last two, three weeks, you can email us at stripes at cleveland.com or better yet, go to strictlystripes.com and click on the link at the top of the page that says, why I'm a Bengals fan. Tell us your story. Very easy. It's a Google doc form. Fill it out. Takes less than five minutes and we will share your response on here. Better yet, we might even have you on here if we think it's a great response. So make sure you do that. All right. So this is going to be a fun one. Because to be honest, I mean, there's there's a lot of good things, Andrew. I think we can say about Ted Karras. But before you know, we get into those glad tidings on you know Ted Karras and his success. Um, looking at where I had him on the list, I'm trying to pull this up. So I feel a little bad because on my original list, I had him at 18. Now I know you showed him a lot more love than I did, and rightfully so. You had him at 14. So I agree. Whatever whatever you're gonna say about Ted Karras, I'm gonna agree with you because I thought about it and I said, you know what? You know, I said to myself, why did I put – because, like, I had Joe Mixon at 16. I had Irv Smith – or, no, I had him Joe Mixon at 17, and I had Irv Smith at 18. And then – oh, actually, yeah. Yeah, Mixon 16, Smith 17. Sorry, the Excel spreadsheet was, like, a number off. I'm reading it off of a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. So, yeah, newsflash. I didn't really do well with Excel in college. So I'm thinking to myself, why would I have Mixon and Irv Smith – and again, respectfully, we talked about him on Monday. Evan McPherson, why would I have those guys ahead of Ted Karras? I, I don't know what I was thinking when I made this list. Shame on me. Um, but Andrew, put me in my place and tell me why I should have had Ted Karras as high as you had him on your list. 
Well, you know, uh, you know, I looked at this list, right, and I had Orlando Brown Jr. ahead of him. I had Alex Kappa ahead of him. Um, you know, I think that that was fair. Um, Ted kind of in the middle of everything. Um, you know, I thought Cordell played well last year uh, at, at left guard. And, you know, I, I would kind of expect an ascension again in, in year two. Um, you know, and, and then Jonah just had kind of such an up and down year with, with his, uh, with his injuries. Now he's going to switch to the right side. Like there, there's just a lot of unknowns there. So, you know, I think, you know, Jonah kind of being down on that list is, is fair as well. So I, I think Ted was, I, I think it's kind of hard to, um, you know, to overstate kind of the value of a veteran guy like that on your offensive line, especially when, it's at the center position and especially when you're dealing with an offensive line that had, you know, four new starters on it. You know, you had a rookie left guard next to you. You had a right guard who came in from Tampa Bay. Like there, there was a lot of, a lot, a lot of variables there. And I think, you know, the, you know, you can point to the on-field aspect with Ted, but I think kind of the off-field aspect was just as important with him, especially kind of considering the makeup they had on that offensive line. You know, I, I am so glad you mentioned that. Like, when we've been doing the top 25 list up to this point, I don't feel like we've really talked about anyone's, like, off-field, like, locker room demeanor, unless you want to count, like, Joe Mixon and, you know, briefly mentioning his legal issues, which that is still going to be something to follow in the coming days and weeks. But, I mean, besides that, yeah, we haven't really talked about guys off the field. Like, and maybe, I guess, you could say with – with uh Irv Smith Jr., I know you could talk a lot about what Joe Burrow has already said about him, what, you know, Zach Taylor said about him, especially because, you know, he has a very interesting mutual connection with Jamar Chase, and, you know, that helps the connection with the offense and him being a veteran that played in an SEC school, just like Joe Burrow, ironically rivals at, L you know, he was at Alabama and Burrow's at LSU. So other than that, we haven't really mentioned the off-the-field side, and you know, for people who were listening a few minutes ago, I said Ted Karras is a demeanor hound. I mean, the thing about Ted Karras, what I think was so admirable, is to come in your first season. You're already a team captain, let alone in your first season. Uh, and you're with a brand-new offensive line because, obviously, the Bengals completely reset their offensive line last year with the exception to having Jonah Williams um, as their left tackle. Everyone else from that Super Bowl team benched or basically released. And so to, to have a full reset like that, you know, you wonder – what is the leadership going to look like? What, what is the makeup going to look like? And I think Ted Karras quickly put those concerns aside. And I think there's one thing that stood out to me really to that point as well, Andrew, is, you know, last year when the Bengals kind of struggled at the beginning of the year, like say their first three, four weeks of the year, I know that one of the things that I liked was, you know, he dedicated a lot of extra time to learning the intricacies of the offense. Like I'm pretty sure he even said during that stretch I mentioned he was sitting in on like the pregame quarterback meetings with Joe Burrow and Brandon Allen and Jake Browning and Dan Pitcher. And I mean, I think the numbers speak for itself. I mean, he was the most consistent pass blocker, according to PFF, 76.1 grade, you know, only allowed 24 pressures, only allowed two sacks, which was the fewest among all starting offensive linemen. So, you know, we know what he can do. We just laid it out there. For for the Bengals, do they need more than that from Ted Karras, or do you think j just give him, you know, give the Bengals what you did last year, or do you really think he has to kind of step it up a notch? Like, what do you think? It, in terms of this year, I I would kind of look at you know what in terms of what you need from him, like there's not 
much from from last year that you know you would look at and say like he needs to drastically improve at this. I thought he played pretty well. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, kind of like I said, you've got, you know, kind of that veteran leader in the middle. I think that that's important. Um, you know, you've got two bigger guards. I think that that's important as well. So, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I think, um, you know, if, if you can get the same output from, from Ted Karras in, in year two with the Bengals as you did last year, I mean, you're probably going to feel better about Cordell Volson in year two than you did last year. You certainly feel better about your tackle positions with Orlando Brown Jr. and, and Jonah Williams. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think if you can kind of just milk the same thing out of him that you did a year ago, then then you're feeling pretty good. So I will say, since we already revealed that on our website, Cordell Volson is actually number 14. So we're going to talk about Cordell Volson tomorrow being Thursday. Um, so I'll kind of get to him later. But, yeah, I mean, you, you look at it, and, I mean, like I said, he is – so it's interesting because I don't want to give away too much on the list, but, like – Orlando Brown, Alex Kappa, they are ahead of Cordell Volson. I won't say where Kappa and Brown are, but they're on the list. Uh, we had Jonah Williams on the list. Lyle Collins is on the list. So you kind of look at it like Karras is right in the middle because Collins was 25. Williams was uh, 19. Karras is 15. Volson is – I mean, Volson is like right next to him at 14. And then again, I won't say Brown and Kappa spot, but they're, they're somewhere down on the list, obviously speaking. I mean, that's no secret. But I feel like – when I think about it like that, Andrew, when you think about where these offensive line, offensive linemen are on the list, like it really kind of makes sense. Like you kind of have Cordell Volson and Ted Karras side by side. And that really is kind of the dividing line between like your lower tier linemen. And I don't say lower tier in like a derogatory insulting way, like your lower tier guys like Collins, who kind of struggled last year before injury and Williams, who, you know, same thing with him. He's got he's had injury issues since he's been with the Bengals and he only really had that one good year that went to the Super Bowl. But then once you get to like Volson and Karras, you kind of hit that sweet spot of like, okay, they're not like your elite, like cream de la cream of offensive linemen in the NFL at their positions, but they're good enough where it's like, you're happy with them. You're content with them. You're pleased with them. Um, and, and, you know, focusing strictly on Karras, cause we're going to talk more about Volson later. I really think with Karras, you can ask more of him if you want. And I'm sure Karis will obviously say this in typical player speak. Like, yeah, we can get better. I can get better, blah, blah, blah. But I think if Ted Karras keeps doing what he has been doing since he got to Cincinnati and maybe adds on it a little bit, whether it's, um, you know, like I'll, I'll get really nitpicky here. Like this is not even a criticism. Like I'm just being nitpicky at this point. So I mentioned his past blocking grade being the best among starters. Maybe he feels like, oh, I can be a better run blocker. Like, he didn't have the strongest grade. He had a 59 run blocking grade. I don't know if that's entirely on him. I think there's another discussion to be had on that. But, like, maybe he wants to open up more holes for Joe Mixon and or Chase Brown and or Travion Williams. I think if he can maybe improve in that sense, his overall grade goes up. And then at that point, it's like, man, the Bengals really uh, got his – I don't want to say a steal, but, like, they really got a good deal with Ted Karras. But, you know, the crazy thing, Andrew, this is the sneaky thing people forget, though. This is the penultimate year of Ted Karras' contract. He's on a three-year deal, so he's going into year two. So you think about it, he's 28, 29 years old. He'll be 30 next year. Do the Bengals really have to get the most out of Ted Karras now before the tires start to wear out? I mean, maybe. Um, you know, I, I, it's always kind of tough to kind of judge when, when a player is um, – you know, when a player is going to be done, um, you know, so I, you know, I don't know about that. I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, you always want on the offensive line is depth. You know, when you talk about the offensive line, 
Um, you know, th- that's a that's a group I, I me- I've mentioned this before about kind of the case for keeping Lael Collins and Jackson Carmen and Jonah Williams is that, you know, it, to, to think you're going to go through a full 17 fully healthy and fully, um, you know, just, you know, you're, you're going to roll through uh, that. That to me is a fool's errand, you know, and you, you kind of never know how quickly these things can change. Um, you know, I, I tell this story a lot, you know, back, back when I was covering the Ravens in 2019, you know, the year that, you know, they just destroyed everyone. They were they were beating the Rams on Monday Night Football. They won that game like 45 to six or something like that. But they had a center, Matt Skura, who was was really playing well that year. You know, he was going, you know, he was a borderline Pro Bowl center that year. You know, I thought he was actually playing, you know, the best football of his career. And he had a pretty significant knee injury. Every CL in his knee got torn and blah, blah, blah. Um, And, you know, he's 30 years old and now he's kind of bounced around. And, you know, I know last year he was with the Rams and, you know, the next year with the Ravens was his last year. And and I don't mean that. And obviously that is, you know, a, a stretch of a circumstance. But I bring that up to say, like, you need depth on the offensive line. You know, because for that's a position where, you know, you rely so much on continuity, which is going to be big for the Bengals this year, that if one guy goes down, that can be a problem. And if one guy gets a major injury, that can be a problem long term. So you never know. So, I, I, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, you have to start worrying about it. I just think that there's, you know, you have to plan for all scenarios. And, and that, you know, Matt Scurra story, I think, is one of them included just you need to try and build up as much depth as you can, uh, especially at that position. So I'm not sure if it's anything to do with like age or anything like that at this point. I mean, I don't want to even get on a tangent here, but it makes me wonder, like, you know, what can you get out of Trey Hill? Like, like you said, let's say, God forbid, in the Bengals case, God forbid, like worst case, you know, Karras goes down with an injury and he kind of did fight through a little bit of like an ankle injury, you know, in those last two games of the playoffs against Buffalo, against Kansas City in true glass eater fashion, which is why I also think you have to justify his place on the list. Um, But let's say that, you know, age injuries start to catch up to him and you got to put Trey Hill in there. I mean, we haven't really seen much of him. I think the only time he played last year was in garbage time against Carolina. And, you know, that was only a couple snaps. I just wondered, like, what can you get out of a guy like that? Like, do you, you know, trust him to really um, fit the bill, if you will? I don't know. I guess, Training camp will kind of give you know give us an idea of like how much has Trey Hill grown. Like he's going into his third year. Um, he kind of really he's he's sort of in that same boat as Deontay Smith. Like they drafted him, he hasn't really done much. I mean, in Hill's defense, he was a backup from day one. But like with Smith, you know, he was a project they were hoping to get a lot out of, and he's probably only played like well, he played one game, two games last year. Didn't play many more snaps the year before, so. That, that I think, though, the reason why I mentioned that is you think about how important it is for Ted Karras. Like, if Ted Karras goes down, you're in deep, deep trouble at center. And so because his value can't be understated, I think that's why you have to justify putting him at 14. That's why I say all of that, and I think you would agree with me. And again, well, I, you, mean, I you, mean his value, you mean his value can't be overstated. Yes, thank you. See, I, I can't even speak today. I'm still recovering from the 4th of July. Um can't be overstated, can't be overstated because, like I said, that guy goes down, you're in hot water. You're in really hot water because with respect to Trey Hill and whoever else they have at center, I just don't know what you can get. Um, I guess Ben Brown would be like the practice squad center. I don't know what you could get out of him. So, 
you know, like we talked about with Evan McPherson, the whole importance of positional value versus overall value. I think this is where you can incorporate positional value into making the case that Ted Karras should be at number 14. Maybe, or I'm sorry, 15, 15, 15. Maybe higher, maybe at 14. Maybe you could swap places with Cordell Volson and Ted Karras. I mean, what, would you do that actually without getting too much in the Volson? Would you see a world where you could put Volson at 15 and Karras at 14? Um, Volson at 15, Karras at 14. I don't know. That, that feels a little nitpicky to me. I, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'm good with kind of the way that things kind of, uh, played out here. Well, he's happy and I'm happy and we're all happy. Stay with us. We are going to share, um, a really, like I mentioned earlier, a really exciting fan response, uh, on this podcast that I think Andrew and I are going to have a lot of fun discussing. And we have some other, uh, important news to bring you which we'll have right here when we return on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. We talked about Ted Karras being at number 15. We are going to talk about Cordell Volson, who was at number 14 on Thursday, which I think that's going to be another insightful discussion. And here's the thing. We're having these discussions on the podcast, but there's a lot of discussions that we're having with our texters through our subtext service, Cincinnati Football Insider Listen, I've been talking about it on and on and on, and so has Andrew, and so has Mike. Make sure that you sign up. It's a two-week free trial, and if you don't like me or you don't like us, you're not hurting our feelings. That's why we have the two-week free trial. That's why it's there, so you can test the waters, and I think once you test the waters, you'll like it. We text you all the Bengals analysis, opinions, and news that you need to know, and to sign up, it's very easy. Before we text you, here's the catch. You have to text us. Just text us your name at this number. It's 513-949-4147. I'll say it again. It's 513-949-4147. And, of course, it goes without saying, make sure you sign up for our Strictly Stripes newsletter to get all the best Bengals news uh, and reporting, not just through text, but to your inbox every morning, five days a week for free. So, Andrew, I am excited to read this because here's the thing. Would I? Would you believe me if I told you? I mean, you obviously know the answer to this because we're reading this response. But before you started covering the Bengals, did you ever imagine that the Bengals had like an international fan base in like other countries? And if so, did you imagine it being pretty big? Well, I mean, I don't know. I think it's kind of judged to. Uh, it's hard to judge how big it is. I, I think there are fans from every fan base across the world. Um, you know, I, so I, I don't think it's necessarily surprising at all. Actually, I, I would probably bet that, you know, even, even the teams that, I mean, I'm sure that there are a lot of these fans that, you know, started cheering for the Bengals when they were terrible for, you know, some random and weird reason. Cause you don't have a, you know, a father or a mother or whoever that's a Bengals fan or a brother or a friend or whatever. So it's like, yeah, I, I you know, I, I'm actually not that surprised. The NFL is kind of a growing, a growing business. You know, I've met, you know, I remember one time I went to a hockey game and I met a Pittsburgh Penguins fan who was from London, England, and I asked why he started rooting for them. And he said, you know, I, I got one channel, one, you know, every couple of weeks. And, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins were the team that was always on. So I started rooting for them when I was a kid and he was a diehard NHL fan from London, England. And I just randomly ran into this person one time and we talked. And I think that there's a lot of stories like that. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised. I think. Just if you're if you're in England, especially as you know, the NFL does more and more of these international games, I think that or wherever you are, I think that, um, 
you know, I, I think that you're you're just naturally going to be inclined. So I'm, I'm not surprised in the slightest that, uh, you know, there are NFL fans kind of across the uh, across the world. Well, neither am I because uh, there's a page on Twitter, a very dedicated page, I should add, called Bengals UK. Their Twitter is at Hooday underscore UK. Um, and I think I've met one of the guys who runs the page because um, there was a guy who came. I forget his name. I feel bad saying this because he was a nice guy. He came from England and was like a blogger covering the Bengals for like UK fans in, in England. And um, I, I think he's the guy behind this page. I would have to double check that. He follows me on Twitter. So who knows? Maybe we'll have to get this guy on the podcast sometime just for fun, especially in the off season. But the reason why I say that is because we got a fan response from Fordham, Cambridgeshire, UK. And this is from Sean Tyler. I'm going to read Sean's response. Here we go. As a UK fan, I was first exposed to the game through a weekly highlights TV shows in the mid-1980s. That was literally the only coverage we had at the time. I was about 14 to 15 years old and was really interested in animals, especially tigers. So when I saw the highlights of a Bengals versus Packer game, it was a foregone conclusion for which team I'd support. And that would be a team with tiger-striped helmets. Yes! Exclamation mark. My interest in the game ebbed and flowed a bit over the ensuing 40 years. But in the last 10 to 15 years or so, I've never been more into the NFL. Have seen the Bengals three times twice in London, and once in Cincy back in 2000 when I came over for work. The snow game against the Jags when Peter Warwick, uh, Warwick scored that 82-yard touchdown. I've only recently found your pod, but enjoy it a lot. Thanks, and keep up the good work. First of all, Sean, no, thank you. Thank you for listening to us. And if you are tuning into this, we really appreciate your passion. And, you know, this isn't just you, Sean. This is for any Bengals fan who dedicates their time to listening to us. You guys are what drives this podcast. You are the pulsing heartbeat of this podcast. So we have to show that to you all first and foremost. We appreciate you all. Um, But Andrew, I'm noticing a theme here. This is the fifth response we've had on the podcast. And I think there's like two or three other responses where people were like, oh, I like tigers or like, you know, I was saying to you and Mike, I was like, oh, is a Bengal a tiger? Is a tiger a Bengal? And like, because people have brought up the point of like, oh, we like tigers and that's part of why we like the Bengals. And so, man, I guess like tigers are just like an attractive mascot. I don't know, man. I mean, did you have like an animal like that stood out to you? Like, like if you were rooting for a team, like, would you want your team to have like a certain animal or a certain mascot? Like, does that even matter to you? Because I, yeah, I, I never cared I uh, personally <laughs> I rooted for the teams that were close to me. Man, I was going to say, it's it's funny, though, he mentioned the striped helmets. Because if you think about, like, the Bengals are one of the teams in the NFL that haven't really changed their helmet design. Like, they've had the same helmets pretty much since the 70s when, you know, first they had the helmets with the Bengals, like, were, like the word Bengals in text on the helmet. And then they went from that to the stripes. And there's variations of the stripes that aren't, I mean, they're very subtle. They're not noticeable. But some variations have kind of come and gone. Overall, they've been the same, but yeah, their helmet hasn't changed. Like, like how the Cleveland Browns, you know, you know, uniform has like the brown helmet. I mean, that's pretty much how it is for the Bengals. Um, like the Patriots have like that Patriot head on there. Uh, the head has kind of changed a little bit, like the font has, but they've had the head. The Packers have always had the G on their helmet. I'm trying to think who else hasn't changed their helmet. The Rams have always had like the horns, like the Ram horns. The Chargers have always had the bolt. The Seahawks have always had like the hawk. I don't think most teams have really changed their helmets, honestly. I think, have they? 
What teams have changed their helmets? I don't. I don't think they've changed, honestly. Who hasn't changed their helmet? Um, Cardinals have had the same. Jaguars have had the same. Well, Dolphins have had the same. Yeah, I mean, there have been tweaks like the um, the like slight the Dolph- tweaks. Yeah, the do- yeah, the Dolphins has changed. The Cowboys. Um, let's see. Houston's kept their helmets the same for twenty yeah, with, years. With the bull, um, the bull head. Yeah. Um, huh. Carolina's had the same Panther, yeah, I think. The 49ers, I think, have been the same. The Rams have been the same. There, there's been teams that have been the same. Um, the Jets have changed theirs up, I think. They changed theirs a little bit. Uh, the Giants changed their. Oh, yeah, the Giants, they changed theirs because they had Giants on the helmet. Like how the Bengals had Bengals on their helmet. Now they have the NY with the little running line underneath it. So both New York teams and then... The Bills, no, they've always had the, the the Buffalo on their helmet, the Buffalo Bill. Yeah, it's not common, not common, but it happens. And so, you know, I think that's pretty cool. The Bengals did change it at one point, but they stuck with it ever since. Bengals versus Packers game. I don't know how good of a game that would have been back then. The Packers were horrible for like between the Lombardi era and Brad Favre. They were horrible. Um, but, you know, you mentioned seeing the Bengals three times, twice in London. Once since, I mean, you know, the last time they were in London, I want to ask you this. Here's a little rapid-fire trivia. Do you know who the Bengals last played in London when they played in London? Um, what year was this? Was this 2016? Uh, 2019. That was the second to last time they were there was okay. 2016. Um, yeah, because I knew that they tied um, – I knew that they tied the Washington, Washington Redskins. Um. 19, 19. That was they lost because uh, they were bad. Uh, yes, they, they were. They were zero six to the Rams. Yes, yes. Yep, that was Zach Taylor's first game against his old boss Sean McVay. And who would have thought that they would meet again in the Super Bowl two years later? But that was their first meeting was uh, in London. And yeah, unfortunately for the Bengals, I think that's when they went zero six. I mean, they were zero eleven that year. They went two and fourteen. And that's why they got Joe Burrow, of course, as we all know. But yeah, um, that is so funny because I feel for you, Sean. You, I mean, a, a tie is pretty cool, I would think. But yeah, to go to go to a game and see them get what was the score of that game when they played the Rams? Were they trapped? I have no was earthly it, idea. Let's see, Bengals Rams. I'm I'm pointing this up in real time. Oh, I mean, it wasn't that bad. They lost twenty four to ten. It was a fourteen point loss. And of course, in the Bengals' defense, the Rams were defending NFC champions. Like they had just lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and Zach Taylor was on that team because, like I said, it was his first game against his old boss, not the last. And actually, the Super Bowl wouldn't be the last one either. The Rams and Bengals are meeting up uh, on Monday Night Football, Week Three in Cincinnati. So that is pretty cool. Um, I think we there was a chance we could have seen the Bengals play in Germany this year because now you've got the games in Germany. The Bengals were not one of those. Teams, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on who you ask. So it's going to be a while before we uh, get our passports and go to Germany. Uh, But we do want to wrap up this pod with some uh, news, some uh, very – I think it's kind of sad because I I really enjoyed him. But uh, for those who don't know, Mike Nislik is no longer with us. Uh, His last day was on Monday. He is covering – he got a new job covering college sports – uh, in Indiana, which he will be starting very soon. I don't know how soon, but um, he will be starting that new job soon. Uh, we really enjoyed Mike on this podcast. I mean, I guess what, in nine months, going on nine, going on 10 months, uh, you know, Mike brought a lot of analysis, a lot of opinion, you know, and for those who don't know, I mean, his calling card is covering college sports. So he has very extensive uh, beat writing experience, which really, really shined in his work. 
both, you know, on our website, through our texts and, you know, on the podcast. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a little, it's a little tough, a little tough, Andrew, when you're, you know, you got the crew all together and it's like, you know, one guy just kind of flutters away, I suppose, or kind of go, go, you know, bears his own wings, kind of flies in his own path. But, you know, it's, 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 it's going to feel kind of weird without Mike, isn't it? It's going to feel a little different from here on out. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, going to miss him and, you know, wish him, uh, wish him the best in his next endeavor. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm sure it'll go great for him. So, you know, he, uh, you know, I really liked having him around and, uh, sad to see him go, but I know he'll, uh, he'll do great things at his next stop. Exactly. And, you know, like I said, his experience is college sports. So, you know, I would assume he might be covering IU and other big name, you know, college teams in, uh, Indiana. So whichever teams he covers, uh, fans who follow them, they'll be lucky because they're getting a guy with very seasoned veteran experience. Um, but, you know, even though Mike is leaving, we just want everyone to know that this podcast is still going to keep growing. It was growing because of Mike, partially because of Mike, of course. Um, but even without Mike, this podcast is going to keep growing the way it's been growing. And it's because of people like Sean and people like um, everyone else who's been submitting their fan responses and people who have been subscribing to us on our subtext service, like our base is growing and it's because of, you know, people like, you know, the ones listening to this podcast and other people who read our stuff on our website at strictlystripes.com who are helping this grow. And, you know, the, you know, the funny thing is we didn't have a training camp together last year. You know, we started really like right in the thick of things like you and Mike started in week one. I joined you guys a little bit later from my last job in Kentucky. So, you know, we're going to have a full training camp together and, you know, we're going to really bring you a lot of insights and analysis that, um, I think will be very intriguing to see, and I think people will want to see. And we really hope that you stick with us for this journey. It's only going to be more exciting from here. And uh, I am looking forward to building on this with you, my friend Andrew, and with everyone else uh, who has been listening to us on this podcast. But once again, for myself and Andrew, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. We will see you on Thursday. Until then, take care.